You are the great I am. You have been here before us. You've been here with us and you will be here forever in eternity as long as we live with you, Lord. God, you are so powerful and so amazing, yet you still sent your son Jesus to live a life like us and die for us. God, you connected with us on a, on a level that we can grow and understand more and more every day. So God, I pray that this time of worship, that we acknowledge our need for you, but also um, the love you have for us, God, and um, the relationship that you desire with us. God, we love you. And it's in Jesus' name that we sing and that we pray. Amen. All right, you guys can take a seat. All right. Hey, guys. Um, Some of you are probably thinking that you've never seen this person up here before, and you would be right. Um, I'm Emma. Uh, Hopefully you've seen me around on Wednesdays because I co-lead some ninth grade girls here, Um, and also you've probably seen me running around with that massive camera um, capturing just like our evenings here, which is really fun to do. But anyways, I'm really excited to be up here and just share with y'all another parable in this series. So just like your handout says, we're going to be at Matthew 15, 10 through 20. And um, it's also found in Luke, but we're going to be rolling with Matthew because to me it just has a little bit more oomph and some details to it. Um, But I read through so many parables before deciding on this one. And I could also say that I cheated because... I definitely went to Google first before I even opened my Bible, Um, but I'm not going to say which way is right and which way is superior than the other, but Google really did give me a really well-organized list, and if you know me, I love a good list. I can't go a day without making a daily to-do list, and you'll find things like brush your teeth, get dressed have lunch just so I can ensure that um, I can cross things off because sometimes I tend to be a little ambitious with what's on there. But anyway, I still couldn't decide even after I narrowed it down to maybe four or five. And by then I did open my Bible. I wanted to gather some context for it. Um, But I had a hard time making a decision. So real quick, by a show of hands, who in here has a really difficult time making decisions or would rather have anyone else choose where to eat or anything of the sorts? Okay, wow, a lot of you. Um, So Bethany, who some of you know, she can attest to this, but I naturally don't have a hard time making decisions. In my friend group, I'm often the one choosing where we're going to go, what we're going to eat, what we're doing, or I'm asked to do that. I'm really not that bossy, but um, this was still a hard decision for me, and I was putting a lot of pressure on it, naturally. I just tend to do that, but I was just doing it all in my own strength, um, and that never works out. Um, I I learned time and time again, because that's just my default, to try to do everything on my own. But I learned time and time again that I can't do that. And I definitely need help from the Lord to remind me why I can't. But I ended up in this parable, um, which the title of it is, What Defiles a Person? And the Lord really showed me why I chose this, or why he showed it to me. um, Because he talks about our brokenness, our need for heart change, and the importance of following him.
and not ourselves. Um, These are all things I know I needed to hear, and so I really wanted to make sure that y'all hear it too. But before we dive into the passage, um, we're going to intro a little bit what's happening in this section of Matthew, as well um, as just like introing into chapter 15 because our passage starts at verse 10. So in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus begins his ministry. From 4 to chapter 25, Matthew records for us the Sermon on the Mount, um, parables of the kingdom, Jesus' teachings on forgiveness, and the parables of the end of the age. So after this section, though, of course, Matthew um, records for us the death and resurrection of Jesus, which we get to celebrate this weekend uh, for Easter. But through this massive section in the middle of Matthew, through Christ's teachings, he shows us the true ingredients of faith and how to guard against a fruitless and hypocritical life. And this is really important because he is showing us how to prepare for life in his eternal kingdom by living properly right now. Jesus lived what he taught, and so we also need to practice what we preach. And we cannot claim to be Christians without living that out daily. Um, just yesterday, actually, I was, I went to like, it's basically like a young adult surge, and it's pretty awesome. But the pastor there, he mentioned in his message, he asked a few questions, and I really enjoyed them. And they were, he asked, are you okay with a pillow and a promise, or are you desperate to know him and make him known? And what he meant by a pillow and a promise is, are you just idly sitting comfortable, um, just stopping at the resurrection, without living for Christ daily, without living that out, without having him present in your heart, without uh, representing him to others. And I really loved how he coined that term, and that we need to be desperate to know him and make him known. Um, By impacting our today outside of surge on Wednesdays, or if you go to church on Sundays, by making it a day-to-day relationship. But So we're into chapter 15 now, and verses 1 through 9 leads into our passage tonight with the Pharisees and teachers of religious law traveling from Jerusalem to come uh, see Jesus. They weren't just coming to see him, though. Of course, they were coming to accuse them, accuse him. And so they confront him, and they ask him a question regarding his disciples, asking why his disciples were not keeping up the tradition of ceremonial hand-washing. Um, I can't help but giggle when I say that because it just kind of sounds ridiculous because these were not rules of God. These were simply traditions invented by humans, And so Jesus had the opportunity to expose these men in their hypocritical way they were living their lives. They cared more about ceremonial hand-washing than they did about faithfully living out God's commands. And so Jesus quotes Isaiah in verses 8 and 9, With this, people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines in the commandments of men. And so we move into verse 10, and we move into our passage Oh, well, there's that. Um, That we move into our passage, and we start by saying, And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered them, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone, they are blind guides, and if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you also without understanding? 
Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and is defiled, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. So, Here, Jesus turns to everyone and says, listen, it's not what goes into your mouth, but what comes out of your mouth, this defiles you. It's what we say and what we think that makes us unclean. And this obviously, to verse 12, offended the Pharisees. And they came simply to accuse Jesus of his disciples not eating with clean hands. But Jesus turned it around and exposed literally the heart of the problem, which is their dirty hearts. And little did the Pharisees realize that one, the one they were accusing will be the very one that would go to the cross and die and give his blood to cleanse dirty hearts all over the world. Dirty hearts that are sitting in every single seat you're in. Um, I also kind of get a kick out of the disciples going up to Jesus in verse 12, um, just being like, well, you made the Pharisees upset. Did you know that you just offended them by what you said? Um, But Jesus tells them to simply leave the Pharisees alone because they were blind to God's truth, and anyone who listens to them will also be spiritually blind as well. But Peter steps up to Jesus and asks him to explain the parable again. And Jesus replies with, What do you still not understand? Are you also still without understanding? And I love Jesus' emotion and his tone in this response because he is adamantly wanting us to understand this parable. He needs us to understand it because we cannot be blind to God's truth and risk leading those around us like the Pharisees would as well. Um, Now, I don't know about any of you, but one of my biggest struggles is that I care way too much about what others think of me. Um, especially when I make myself really distant from Christ and I'm putting myself or my circumstances or literally anything else in my life above God. And when we do that, we work really hard to keep our outward appearances attractive to those around us because that's what everyone outwardly sees. But what others can't see, that's what's important to God. It's what's inside. So I ask you, what are you like on the inside? Are you, would you like others to see what you're like on the inside? You could be someone who's really confident on the outside. You put up a good front, but you're really full of fear. Or you're super tough, or you're the class clown in your school, but you have insecurity all inside of you. When someone becomes a Christian, God changes our inside. He makes us different on the inside. And he continues the process of change. If only we ask him and we put him above everything else in our lives. But God wants us to have healthy thoughts and minds and hearts rather than just our healthy bodies or outward appearances. When I came to follow Christ, I was actually um, in my freshman year of college. And so... The truth that our hearts are deceitful was something I almost felt like it was a culture shock. I had to really uh, relearn that or engrave that in my mind um, because I'm sure like all of you could relate to this. I felt like I grew up, I grew up where any media I would consume, whether that's music, movies, books even, that they all would exemplify the task of listening to your heart or following your heart. But... 
in a well-known moment just before chapter 15, actually, in Matthew. Jesus walked on water, and Peter, he was freaking out. He could not control the wind and the waves. He couldn't control the storm that was happening around him. His faith was being shaken. His faith was being tested. And Jesus, when that's happening, Jesus doesn't call out to him and is like, Peter, just trust yourself. Follow your heart. You can do it. No, he says, come, follow me. We cannot walk two directions at the same time. It's our hearts or God. So, our hearts, they are broken, untrustworthy, and fleeting. But Jesus, in the total opposite of that, he is constant, he is unfailing, and he is eternal. So right now, think to yourself, do, you, do I trust my heart or do I trust God more? Do I trust my own strength right now or am I fully relying on God's plan? Now, I'm really not going to stand up here and act like I have everything together, um, that I am and always have been in a perfect place with the Lord because that's the only way I can stand up here and give this message to you guys, right? Now, I'm preaching this to myself more than anything else. Uh, a little bit more about me. So I'm about to graduate college this May. I literally have a month left of school. And that used to be, I say used to, um, the, one of the most exciting things I was looking forward to. I was so looking forward to this season in my life. Um, and you guys have a ways till then, and um, we've all had different experiences, but... This has honestly been my driest season with God. This, I have never been in the, my worst place with the Lord personally and my relationship with him than right now. So it kind of feels weird to me to be uh, giving this message, but like I said, I needed to hear this as well. Um, but it's always been kind of confusing to me because I have total faith that God never leaves, that he's always with me, but at the same time, I've been feeling super distant from him. And it's mainly all for, it's all for my own doing, trusting in myself instead. I've been fully relying on myself to have my future lined up rather than God's plan. I come up with trying to come up with what's next after I finish school. And I've been struggling really bad with consistent time in the Word. Like, really bad. And I always have, that's always been a struggle for me. But I've been completely forgetting all that he says that I am and all that he says he's going to do because by not being in the word, I am just pushing him away, basically. And in Proverbs 3, 5, the Bible tells us not to lean on our own understanding. And it's literally being serious. Your heart is deceitful, your emotions fluctuate, and your understanding does not see the overall big picture of God's plan. But I can hold tight that God never lies, he never changes, and he definitely knows all. And so that I can trust in him. But then there's a curious question of this passage of why are our hearts so deceitful? Um, so we go all the way to Genesis for this origin of the problem. And like most problems, it began with the fall. Um, God created human beings with the potential for good, but also the potential to choose evil. And so in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve made the wrong choice. Instead of choosing life, they followed the lead of the serpent, and they chose to decide for themselves what is right and what is wrong. They chose the way that leads to sin and death. 
Now, in this story, we all know that the serpent is the devil. He is Satan, and he deceives the whole world. Satan has influenced every single person who has ever been born, with the exception of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Otherwise, Satan has corrupted the entire human family to the point that every human heart reflects his influence. And like Satan, our hearts reflect his deceitfulness and his wickedness. Now, I wasn't planning on sharing this, but um, I was just randomly going through some of the scripture I'm sharing in a little bit. And I wanted to share an excerpt from my Bible that talks about our deceitful hearts from Jeremiah 7, uh, 17, 9 through 10. But it says, God has been absolutely clear with what he requires. He has proclaimed warnings about disobedience. He has anointed prophets to remind people of what a life lived in obedience looks like, as opposed to death through sin. Yet the human heart's default inclination is toward defiance and self-service. Now, the solution to a person's corrupted heart is not an attempt to try harder or to work toward a change of behavior. There is no hope or force or a natural improvement, but beyond simple selfishness or unkindness, sinful nature carries people to dark and wicked places far from God's life-giving paths. Men and women need a new nature, a new heart. The prophet Ezekiel announced that one day God would provide the cure for the wickedness of sin. And it says in Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-six, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put within you. And I will remove this heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Jesus came into the world and lived a sinless life. He gave himself as a perfect sacrifice to pay in full the debt of humankind's sin. He rose from the dead to defeat the power of death for all time. Believing in him and trusting in his saving work secures forgiveness for any person. On top of this, faith in Jesus gives men and women what they desperately need, a new heart. Everyone who believes in him is made new. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, Christians can put off the old corrupted self and put on the new self that is created through faith in Jesus. Now, I couldn't even help but smile whenever they talk about what Christ has done for us on the cross. And I just thought it was super fitting to um, read that, considering we're going into Easter this weekend. Um, And they wrote it and explained it way better than I ever could. But, like I said, Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. So God reminded Jeremiah that he continues to search and test us and hold us accountable for our actions. Only by seeking God's truth and his righteousness can we receive the Holy Spirit's help when we need to overcome our deceitful and wicked nature. Now, when it comes to sin and our wicked nature, we often like to blame anything else on our sin. We like to blame our environment that we're in, the people around us. We even blame it on Satan. We tend to blame everything else that we could think of a source as an outside source of our sin. But Jesus clearly tells us that the source of sin is inside of us. Um, So instead of trying to blame everyone else, I would just love for you to focus on your heart here because that is where the real problem lies. But we also look at good deeds. We look at the little showings of love, like helping an old lady cross the street or um, being kind to strangers or just little glimpses of kindness and goodness. And we say to ourselves, oh, 
who, it sins okay. We're good people. But the Bible, however, says the exact opposite. And our passage in Matthew 15, 19 through 20, he reminds us that out of the heart come all the bad stuff. Out of ourselves springs up sexual immorality, theft, murder, and so on and so forth. Now, I get that these truths are not fun to listen to. And you probably wouldn't be very happy if this is the first time that you are hearing a message preached from the scripture. But just let me say this. Please hang in there. Because God is not here to condemn us so that we feel bad about ourselves and just leave us there. But we have got to know the problem. We have to realize how broken we are so that we can then turn to him and be saved from our sins. We can't appreciate the good news until we understand the bad news. And we just cannot shove that bad news aside without coming to the head of it. So our relationship with God is a gift that comes from salvation, one of our greatest gifts, and it's our most important relationship ever. So how do we nurture a relationship and give our whole heart to it? How do we start to get past that pillow and promise idea that I mentioned earlier? Like most others, we want to spend time together. So we want to have daily time in the Word, and based on what I said earlier, that is way easier said than done, but I, um, we need that so that our hearts can be transformed by the word and our mind will be renewed from it. And that is a daily task. Now, when it comes to the words that we speak, and that is what comes from the heart, we may have to actively bite our tongues, but it's easier to fight your flesh when you've been sowing to the spirit. That's what it says in Galatians 6, 8. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And so I'm not just saying, make sure you're in the Word every now and then, just when it's convenient for you, you know, no big deal. But we have to spend time with Him daily, in Scripture and in prayer. And with prayer, trust me, it's not like there's a cap on how many times you can pray in a day. Constant communication with God is another great gift that we've been given. And I have struggled with prayer, honestly, for a long time as well. I grew up thinking that I needed to um, sound a certain way or I needed to be somewhere specific in order um, to give a good prayer. Um, And if you want me to pray in front of people, that would never happen. But I have, even as I've struggled lately in the Word in this really tough season that I'm in, my prayer life with God has flourished for some reason. Um... I simply just chatted up with God. He takes my blabbering nonsense and my constant worry, um, and he still fully hears me, and he fully loves me still. Um, I was kind of, I was reviewing this talk with a friend on Monday, and she mentioned when I said this that it can even be like you're texting God. Just like shoot up a text. It doesn't have to be very long. Just constant talk with him is amazing and beneficial. I personally love to pray when I drive. Um, I know some of you are not able to do that, so take that as you will. Um, but that's where I'm alone, and I can, like, completely focus, and it's just my great time of prayer. Um, but I also really love to just 
pray while I'm walking around doing my daily stuff. And I will say that masks have helped that tremendously because I would like to think that no one can see my mouth moving when I am um, wearing one and just uh, chatting it up with God. But if they can, I hope no one tells me. Um, But when you get to my fear of praying in front of people, I would hope that I'm growing in that, considering I will be ending this message praying in front of all of you. Um, But find whatever works for you. Ask a mentor. Ask one of your leaders when we dismiss in a little bit what they do. Take it from them. But guys, this is your relationship with God, and it's super important um, to keep it up. We cannot ignore that. Um, But when it comes to daily things, we have to decide every day whether we will edify or demolish someone with our words, and it all starts in our heart. When I think about our words, I like to think about it this way, that the mouth is simply the sound, book, sound box of what is in the heart. So take your heart to God. He is literally in the business of heart change. And ask him to constantly debride us of its filth. We don't have to be reckless, foolish people whose tongues or words are ready and willing to tear down. But we can be wise children of God whose words are ready and willing to build up God's kingdom. So I ask you, how can you build up God's kingdom this week? You'll notice at the bottom of your handout, I mentioned I love a to-do list. And so you have a little space at the bottom to either make or start um, your to-do list um, and how you can build up God's kingdom this week. You don't have to worry about that too much right now. That's definitely a question in your community group time, so you'll have it there. But I would just love to end with some prayer, and then we will head into community groups. Lord, I just thank you so much for bringing each and every one of us here tonight. Um, God, I pray that each and every student in here feels love from their leaders, feels, feels love from their peers, Um, And God, I just thank you for whatever you chose to um, have me speak to them. God, it was all from you and it was all for you, Lord. And God, I pray through this next week and the end of this week that um, they can, everyone in here can figure out what they need to do to build you up, whether it's noticing our brokenness and realizing our need for heart change and being pointed towards the importance of following you, God. Lord, we love you. We cannot do this on our own, and we need you um, every step of the way. Lord, remind us of that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.